Hello and welcome to the Pause and Effect podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kara. And today I have Dr. Nikki, a veterinarian from Hillcrest Veterinary Hospital, joining me. And we're here to discuss some common questions and concerns from pet owners and to give some advice on some important pet-related questions. So, Nikki, Dr. Nikki, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for being here. So please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do. Um, okay, so I have been a vet for what, 17 and a bit years. Um, feels like an eternity. <laughs> and yet I'm still learning new stuff every single day. Uh, that's one thing our profession does is it's very humbling. Absolutely. And <laughs> you never know everything. So it's nice. It, it keeps things interesting and you are constantly on your toes and you never get bored. Absolutely. That is for sure. No, I agree. Um, worked all over. I qualified and then I went to the UK for four years and then I came back to South Africa in 2010 and I've been at various practices and locuming and then for the last four years, obviously, at Hillcrest Vet. It's fantastic, and we love having you there. Thank you. <laughs> An exceptional vet. <laughs> and through your career, have you developed any particular interests in any areas or fields of interest? What is your? <clears throat> um, I suppose it sounds it sounds a bit basic, but I've always been very keen on the basic routine care stuff. Um, you know, a lot of my colleagues get quite bored by the whole vaccination routine in terms of, oh, you know, it's here for a vaccination. But I, I think it's a really good opportunity to pick up problems and to spend a little bit of time with the client, especially in like young puppy and kitten vaccinations. Especially with puppies, I find, um, you know, it's such an important part of the whole experience for a, for a, a new pet. And that if you can try and make that first visit as pleasant as possible and as fear-free as possible, it sets them up for a lifetime of not like putting on the brakes, coming in the door and just in like super stress mode. So when time allows, I like to try and spend a little bit of extra time with the puppies and the kittens just to kind of put them at ease. And I think it also puts the clients at ease and they think that, you know, they can build a relationship with us because we're not just going through the motions and injecting and off you go. <clears throat> excuse me off you go out the door yeah so um that's one thing I, I really enjoy so let's talk about the puppy and kitten visits what are the typical questions that pet owners ask you what is important for you to address during that initial first <laughs> um, consult I think uh, basically obviously covering what vaccinations are necessary and when we start them and why we start them when we do okay um and how important vaccinations are in terms of you know preventing very scary and preventable diseases um you know from from our perspective as you know like having a parvo puppy come in mm. that's been never been vaccinated and it's you know even if it's like four months old it's never been vaccinated and you just think oh, you know you know your heart breaks because it's devastating you, you know how what kind of road lies ahead for this puppy mm. and how difficult it's going to be and they may or may not survive and you get frustrated because it is, it's completely preventable if people are up to date with their vaccinations. So, and then obviously the whole rabies drama we're having at the moment. I mean, it's always been endemic in, in KZN, but we are hitting some very scary levels at the moment. Well, let's dive into that. So explain to us what you mean by that. Um, I mean, 
previous prior to middle of last year in my then what 16 and a bit years I'd probably had two positive rabies cases in my career last year we had four in the space of five weeks wow at our practice so that's not even like you know going further afield Mm. um and then again last month I physically had my hands in two con- later confirmed rabies positive cases in the space of like three weeks. So it, and it's on our doorstep. You know, people think oh, rabies is a, a rural disease and it's not going to be, a, you know, it's not my problem. And one of my biggest frustrations is clients coming in saying, oh, well, you know, my dog never leaves the yard. And that's that's not that's not the case anymore. That doesn't matter. I mean, so, so explain to, to the layperson, explain how your pet can contract rabies. Well, a couple of years ago, we, there was a case in Westville where a, a rabid dog was running up and down a road and fighting with the dogs through a fence. And all those dogs that weren't vaccinated and up to date with vaccinations had to be euthanized. So the impact is so huge. That, and those dogs didn't need the yard. Mm. And we had this year we had a case of a rabid dog getting into an up, upmarket estate in the Upper Highway area. And so getting into the estate, first of all, which is a gated, you know, security controlled area, and then getting into an owner's yard in said complex and fighting with those dogs. So those dogs didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And they, and luckily they were up to date. We, you know, the, the dog was since, um, uh, tested and, and was tested positive, but those dogs, luckily, who were attacked were vaccinated, and so they were protect, protected. Mm. But and if they had not been, the consequences? Well, okay. if they're not vaccinated, then legally they need to be euthanized, mm. which is a huge impact on. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean the, the 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 devastation that it causes for that family is enormous, and I think there's a huge amount of guilt because they they think to themselves, well. You know, if I'd just been on the ball and vaccinated my pets, I could have avoided this. So there's that ramification as well to consider. So other than educating people within that first consult about the preventative health care measures, including vaccines and all the, the other discussion points, how else are we as vets sort of responsible for trying to manage or trying to educate? Well, obviously, certain things come up um, in terms of training and nutrition and a big one for, for puppies is obviously socialization. I mean, obviously in our practice, we see, I've never seen so many Bartwins cases in my life. And the puppies that are properly socialized, that go to puppy socialization classes and, and spend time outside of their garden are so much better adapted to the world and are so much less likely to get into those fights. So it's preventative mm-hmm. you know, care down the line for things like, you know, bite wounds and trauma and all that kind of thing. And I've always joked with clients that, you know, it's all very well, you know, teach your puppy to sit and lie down and all the fancy tricks. But for me, at the end of the day, the only the only um, command or trick that really counts is recall. Because you want to know that if your gate opens and you call your dog, they're going to come back, regardless of what who's out there and what distractions are possibly out there. You need to be able to get that animal inside so that they don't get hit by a car or attacked by another dog or whatever. So I kind of um, 
focus on that when when I'm chatting to them, how important. It's nice to do the cool, you yeah. know, showy tricks, tricks, but that's the one that counts in my opinion. Oh, that's very, that's very, I'm only laughing because my dog's running out the gate this morning. <laughs> and now I'm having to like throw treats in the, <laughs> out of my window to try and keep them uh, distracted so that I can leave. So that, that critical first opinion um, work that you do, you love the education part of it. You love yes. to be able to set puppies and kittens up for the best start to their yes, life. Yes, absolutely. And kittens as well. You know, people, because they're not really trainable, um, you know, people focus a little bit less on them. But it's also so important because all of my big injuries over the years have all been cat-related, mm. like as you know, you know, at least with the dog, it's just the mouth you really have to go yeah. worry about. But with cats, your mouth, claws, the whole caboodle. <laughs> so if you can make that uh, a fun, stress-free consult for the kitten and, you know, try and do that at each subsequent one, it kind of sets them up. Because the first 16 to 20 weeks of a, a young puppy or kitten's life is like that behavior that they learn there is what's hardwired into them. So that's why... Often you know, pick, people pick up these stray kittens and, 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 and raise them as their own, and that's great. But you, you never quite get rid of the, the feralness in those kittens because mm. it's just hardwired into who they, you know, who they are and who their personality is. Absolutely. So. They end up quite full of character. Yes, feisty. <laughs> great at home, not so good in, in our practice. Exactly. Okay? So let's talk, you know, I feel quite strongly about microchipping and trying to reunite yes. owners. I know that's one of the things you recommend within, all the in time. fact, all your consults if, if we discover that a pet's not been microchipped. So yeah. talk about the microchip and, and so, the benefit. And, 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 the, and the misconceptions about it. I mean, the number mm. of people who've said to me, oh, oh you know, so said, can I track my, my, my puppy? And I'm like, we say, no, it's not a tracking one device. One day, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be cool and scary mm. at the same time. Um, but no, it's it's basically just um, uh, the microchip's got a long number and then all the owner's details are registered on the system and on a database. So the first thing that we do as, you know, any veterinary practice or the SPCA or whichever welfare organization, the first thing we do when we get a stray animal is scan it for a microchip. And I mean, we've had animals reunited with their owners within 20 minutes. So so great you know and that rather than like them kind of being the the owners being distraught at home and not knowing mm. where their pet is even though their pet is safe in the SPCA or a vet um yeah it's it's just a total non-brainer and then the importance of keeping your details up to date yes yeah you know, change of address or change of telephone, telephone number, number very important we often have that don't we where we're and, to. and it's also important because a lot of puppies and kittens are chipped by the breeder yes and most of the time they'll only chip them once the person has reserved that puppy and and so they've got those details but it's always important for them to check with their breeder that or with the microchipping company that the the details have been changed correct yeah so i know this is also one of your favorite subjects spaying and neutering oh <laughs> it's a tricky one yeah you know there's a lot of contention about when to do it and um, why to do it and why not to do it. So let's talk about why. What's the, what are the reasons why we should do it? Well, we should certainly consider it. Okay. So I think from uh, the most important thing for me is population control. Um, and anyone, anyone who has worked in any form of welfare 
will be extra passionate about population control. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I myself did six months at an SPCA in Joburg just after I qualified. And luckily I only signed up for six months because I wouldn't have lasted any longer than that. The emotional toll. Yeah. You know, I mean, the the number of euthanasias is just heartbreaking and it's astronomical. And it's all stuff that can be avoided, really, if people were just responsible about how they how they raise the animals. And, you know, so many times people say, oh, I just want my child to see puppies being born. And I'm like, that's really not enough of a, a reason for this to go down so and and so when people say they want to well, they want to breed with the animal now i say to them okay fine have you got p- homes set up at least eight homes for all of these animals because you don't want to be in a situation where you've got eight puppies and only two get homes then what do you do with the rest mm. then you know they either go to a, a a really unfit home or they land up at the SPCA or in another welfare organization and a lot of them do get end up end up getting put down and that's not fair no um and then you know if you're going to be a responsible breeder each puppy cannot leave your care without at least the first vaccination being done and you know being dewormed every two weeks from the time that they were born and, you know, frontline spray and whatever to, you know, control the, the fleas and the ticks. So it's not just a, it's a lot of hard work. And a expensive exercise. It's expensive. And, you know, some dogs are, are not able to whelp on their own. And so then comes in the C-section. Hmm. And that that is a significant cost. Um, and I, I always say to people, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, every single client who said they wanted to have a, a litter of puppies has a litter of puppies, and the, every single one says, never again, <laughs> never again. It's too stressful because, mm. you know, you, you worried, like, is that the end of the puppies? Is there one more? What if one gets stuck, you know? And even, a lot of people struggle to let them go, you know. They, exactly. They put all this time and effort and then... And it's always in the middle of the night, and then if, if, if the mother doesn't have milk, then mm. you've got to sit bottle feeding them every two hours it's and it's it's like having a newborn but eight of them so yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's no, thank you <laughs> it's too much hard work really and talk about deworming you mentioned obviously with puppies um, or young puppies we say every two weeks let's talk about um, deworming protocols and the importance of deworming so look in an ideal world each pregnant animal each pregnant bitch would have be dewormed in the last 10 days of your pregnancy with something that's obviously safe um, to reduce the worm burden. But all puppies are born with worms. You know, it gets transmitted through the placenta, it gets transmitted through the, the milk. So they always have high worm burdens. And we normally start deworming them, deworming them at about two weeks. And I say to people, I would do sort of two, every two weeks for maybe three treatments and then go on to monthly until they're about six months old. Because the the toll it takes on the puppy and in terms of its growth and you know anemia and all sorts of things, it's it's really it's it's severe. So it's and an it's important not an aspect. No, it's not. I think people not at all. And it it it, it it really you know it can be the difference between a happy, healthy, thriving puppy and one that's just kind of on the back foot the whole time. So it's very important. We're going to take a break. Thank you for your attention. This podcast is sponsored by UltraPet, so I'm going to take a moment to read you their manifesto. 
For more than 25 years, we at UltraPet have made it our mission to take the ifs, buts and maybes out of premium pet food. Because when we say scientifically formulated, it's a fact. When we say value, the numbers speak for themselves. When we say more meat, the proof is in the pudding. And when we say we care, our accident cover delivers. What sets us apart is not one thing, it's all the things combined. Because we understand that when it comes to your pets, you want certainty on all fronts. You want absolutes, the absolute best, given your means. Premium quality, but without the exorbitant cost. So rest assured that any claim we make, we stand by. It's our commitment to your pets, our promise to you. And to prove it, we're willing to put our money where our mouth is. talk nutrition so we obviously as vets we like to generally recommend veterinary grade diets um absolutely why is that because a lot of science has gone into it you know it's um it's well balanced all of the the various bits the the level of protein you know all the macro and micronutrients have been accounted for and you know studied and put through rigorous trials and and controls so from that perspective, it's very important. And then the other thing is kind of going a little bit on a, on a tangent there, you're talking about, you know, people feeding bones and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So that that's something I feel very passionate about as well. And I say I say to people, they're like, oh, yeah, dogs in the wild, that's what they eat. And I'm like, yeah, fair enough. But dogs in the wild then live to three yeah. when they, until they get a bone stuck in their small intestine and it, perforates and they get peritonitis and they die Hmm. so you you can't equate the two we're trying to get our pets to live to 12 13 14 you can't feed them what they get what they eat in the wild because you you're trying to have a much much longer lifespan so you need to feed optimum nutrition and optimum food so that they can get there Hmm. why are we concerned about the home formulated you alluded to the fact that obviously it's difficult for Uh, for us to formulate our own diets but you know the raw food diets and the fads of home cooking um what are the limitations there what are the concerns for us as professionals you know you 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 just don't i mean it's it's difficult enough for us to make sure that we eat properly Mm. with the you know the wide variety of food that that we eat um and to make sure that you're giving adequate nutrition to your pet i mean each, I mean, each life stage has its own requirements. And if you don't meet those requirements, you are doing them a disservice. I mean, obviously, puppies and kittens have a much higher energy and, and protein um, requirement than adult dogs do. And then um, older animals, cats and, cats and dogs, have need not a restricted protein, but an appropriate level of protein so that it's not too much for their kidneys to handle so all those things have been taken into account with these formulated science-based diets so you know the home cook thing is look if that's all that you can manage you know fair enough but it's Mm. we always strive for best practice and the ideal scenario and if that's the best for you then fair enough but there are better options out there 
And there, there are a range of veterinary diets in terms of costing and, you know, nutrition-wise and, you know, bag, econo- economics of how big the bags are and all that kind of thing. So I think there's something out there for for most of our clients, certainly from a private practice perspective. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we're not talking about the rural homesteads and so on. That's a totally different ball game. But... I mean, if you're coming to a private practice for care for your pet, that implies that you are capable of of providing a certain level of nutrition if you're going to a private veterinarian. Absolutely. And the concern with, with raw foods, obviously, I know there... I'm throwing you in the, in the deep end, asking for your opinion. Yeah, more than anything. I mean, it's such a contentious subject. I know. Um, uh, one of the nurses um, who I've I've dealt with and worked with over the years had a very um, a very good kind of take on the whole raw food thing, um, and she said, you know, it's very different having an a rabbit or a dacre or a you know, small buck or whatever running one minute, and then you know being alive and well and healthy, and then being hunted and eaten immediately mm. then you know going th- feeding your your pet for example chicken that you know went through the whole um, slaughter process and once the meat has been processed it has been kept in a cooler or a freezer a fridge for you know four degrees celsius for any length of time and then that stuff gets taken out of the freezer and laid on pallets and it sits out of the free the fridge for two hours while everything gets unpacked then it goes back into a refrigerated truck and then the temperature goes down again and then it gets unpacked onto the the pavement and then the temperature goes up again so you've got this temperature fluctuation in raw meat which is the perfect breeding ground for bacteria and then you go and feed that to your pet mm-hmm. and yeah, it's just it's it's not the same it's not the same thing. So the potential for all sorts of things. Obviously, the the standard gastroenteritis is there. Um, there've been cases of meningitis, meningoencephalitis from raw food diets, and we've seen it. Yeah, um, E. coli, salmonella. Exactly. It's not not made up. No. Um, and I think probably the thing that frightens me the most is that your dog may be fine, maybe carrying it. Um, but if they are with young children or immunocompromised or exactly. elderly family members, that they can certainly they are much more um, susceptible, susceptible and, and can contract these very yeah. frightening. So diseases. I'm obviously so, very yeah. anti, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about sort of private practice, and obviously, as much as you know, we we generally come across people who are in a position to afford their veterinary care or certainly preventative measures. Yes, the cost of pet care is is a hot topic yes and um there are ways and means that people go about whether it's you know making decisions on um on what they're going to do what they're going to feed you know i we say we always do best practice what are the kind of discussions or what are the kind of questions you're faced as a general practitioner when it comes to financial constraints or financial concerns it's a it's a tricky one because you know we we obviously want to do as we as we all talk about best medicine, best practice, there's there's like a gold standard of what we aim aim to do mm. and what we would like to do, 
but that's not always possible in every situation. Um, pet insurance has certainly made life a lot easier in some respects with that. Um, and I find that we are able to do more workups in, you know, full workups in patients that are insured, which is great because, you know, otherwise you're kind of just taking a wild stab in the dark often because you're like, you, we obviously do very thorough clinical exams, but there's a lot of stuff that you can't pick up from a, a clinical exam. And that's where things like blood tests and x-rays and ultrasounds are so important. So I generally when I'm presented with a sick animal, I'll kind of, after doing the clinical exam, I'll have like um, a short list of diseases that spring to mind as to what it could be. And then the short list of tests that I'd like to do to either rule those conditions in or out. Um, and then I'll say to the client, look, this is what I would like to do, um, but it's going to cost X, Y, Z. And then I kind of judge from their reaction, like, you know, there's, is there rapid intake of air? And they'll be like, okay, well, that's what I'd like to do, but we don't have to do that. Um, we can do option B, which is, you know, a smaller amount of blood tests or, you know, only x-rays versus And discuss the limitations. Yeah, and discuss that at least we're getting some information, but Mm. we could be missing some stuff. Um, And then there are cases where they're just like, you know, I just can't. Mm. I just can't. And what do they do in those situations? It's a tricky one because you end up having to, you're trying to do the best for the patient, But at the same time, you're trying to do the best for the client as well. And you're trying not to guilt trip them into anything. You know, uh, people can only do what's financially possible for them. And I try very hard not to make them feel bad about that. So I'll give them the options. And then what I'll often do as well is I'll say, okay, we can try conservative treatment for 24 hours. Yeah. So, you know put it on some medication or put it on a drip. We won't run any tests. But if there isn't a significant improvement in the next 24 hours, then we really do need to do some diagnostics to see mm. where we are. And I find that's often a, a good way of going about it because they have a little bit more time to process and think and go, okay, let's try the conservative, give it some anti-nausea medication, yeah, something to try and clear up the diarrhea. And if the dog's eating and not vomiting and happy, Bob's your uncle, end of yeah. story. And that's great. And I mean, you know, we're obviously trying to just get a healthy pet at the end of the day. Mm. So if that works, excellent. But then I say to them, if there's not a significant improvement in the appetite or whatever, then really we do need to do some more tests. And it also just kind of put, takes takes them from being put on the spot. Mm. Removes to, the pressure. Yeah, removes the pressure and they go, okay, right, let's see what happens. And they've just had a little bit more time to think, okay, well, if we do have to do the tests... Maybe I can shuffle some funds around or, you know, whatever. And, and we're also very lucky in that there are other options, even if you don't have medical aid, um, is something called MediWallet, which is basically, I don't know, understand the full ramifications, maybe you, you do, mm. but um, it's, it's a, basically a short-term loan situation mm. and they will cover the costs and then you pay them back over an extended period of time which is a lot often a lot easier to to manage for people and it's not just our industry that uses a physiotherapist use it dentists use it so mm. you know it's 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 not a uh, 
dodgy moneylender. It's no. like a recognized thing. And it's made a big difference in terms of it has. how we can treat our pets. Absolutely. So just um, a couple of questions. How, yes. how do we know when to advise clients or when do we know to advise that they need to come in? What are the common like, signs of my dog's not doing so well? So, you know, you, you talk preventative health care, yeah. um, especially in terms of the puppy and kitten and the vaccinations that we see. What are some of the signs of illness? So I um, and our receptionists are actually excellent at this in terms of asking questions. And, you know, somebody phones in and says, you know, my dog is vomiting. Um, and and. I think it's it's all about context as well, you know. Okay, so you've got a vomiting dog. How many times has it vomited? Has it vomited once? I'm not going to get excited. Has it vomited eight times in three hours? Yeah, um, uh, my you know my radar is blinking. Time to come in. Yeah, um, is the diarrhea as well? Because you know vomiting and diarrhea you're obviously losing fluid out of both ends and they're much more likely to dehydrate mm. is there blood in the stool um how long have they been off their food are they completely off their food have they eaten perfectly well up until yesterday and then this morning they just didn't eat their breakfast then i'm not you know i'm not perturbed but they've been eating progressively less for a week and three days ago they haven't eaten since then they haven't eaten a thing big time need to come in absolutely you know so it's a lot about and it's also age related um and individual related you know yeah. some dogs may skip a meal and, and, that's and normal that might for them, be normal but, for them yeah. but you know a puppy that chews stupid stuff all the time rocks yeah. and stones and, and then goes a tennis food. ball and now doesn't want to play and has vomited 10 times so in the last three hours mm. or whatever mm. That needs to come in ASAP because it might, you know, it might be a foreign body stuck somewhere. Absolutely. So, and then old animals, if they've kind of progressively been eating less and they've been drinking more and they've lost three kilos, big alarm bells, you know, that that definitely needs to be seen ASAP. You can't wait those ones out. No, no, I agree. So we're going to take a break right now and then we're going to tackle some more common questions from pet owners and common conditions and concerns Perfect. we have an exciting announcement to make we are looking for guest speakers who are passionate about the pet industry and sponsors to support future episodes are you an expert in pet training nutrition or behavior maybe you're a veterinarian with insights to share a pet store owner with unique experiences or a pet product inventor we want to hear from you the Pause and Effect podcast is a platform for industry professionals like you to showcase your knowledge, experiences, and stories. As a guest speaker on our podcast, you'll have the opportunity to share valuable information, engage with our audience, and have your voice heard in the pet community. Whether you want to discuss training techniques, emerging pet care trends, or the importance of mental stimulation for pets, we want to feature you and your expertise. So, if you're passionate about pets and have something to say, we invite you to join us on an upcoming episode of the Pause and Effect podcast. But wait, that's not all. The Pause and Effect podcast is also seeking sponsors to support our mission of educating and entertaining pet lovers worldwide. 
By becoming a sponsor, you'll gain exposure to our engaged audience and have your brand associated with the love and care that we have for our four-legged friends. If you own a pet-related business, offer pet products or services, or simply want to align your brand with our pet-loving community, we'd love to partner with you. As a sponsor, your brand will be featured prominently in our episodes and our social media channels. It is a great opportunity to showcase your offerings to a dedicated audience of pet enthusiasts. So whether you're an expert in the pet industry looking to share your knowledge or a business seeking to reach a pet-loving audience, we want to hear from you. To apply as a guest or to inquire about becoming a sponsor of the Pause and Effect podcast, please contact me at drkara at pauseandeffect.co.za. Get in touch and let's discuss the various opportunities. Thank you for joining us today. We can't wait to welcome our future guest speakers and sponsors to the Pause and Effect podcast. Remember, every episode is an opportunity to celebrate our four-legged friends.